ಓಂ ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೋ ಭುನಕ್ತು ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯಂ ಕರವಾಬಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಾ ವಿಷಾವಹೈ ಓಂ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 ಮೇ ದ ಲಾರ್ಡ್ ಪ್ರೊಟೆಕ್ಟಸ್ ಬೌಸ್ ದ ಟೀಚರ್ ಅಂಡ್ ದ ಟಾಟ್ ಟುಗೆದರ್ ಬೈ ರಿವೀಲಿಂಗ್ ನಾಲೆಜ್ May the Lord protect us both by giving us the results of knowledge. By the way, I keep saying results of knowledge, it means enlightenment, moksha. The result of enlightenment would be moksha. May we attain vigor together. Let what we study be illuminating. May we not cavil at each other. Om, peace, peace, peace. So in our study of the Kathopanishad, we are on mantra number uh 678 but when i say mantra number 8 uh, remember the kathopanishad the structure of the text is that uh, it has two chapters and each chapter has three sections so we are in the first chapter second section and mantra number 8 1.2.8 so the mantra goes like this nanarena varena prokta esha suvigyeyo bahudha chintyamana ananya prokte gatiratra nasti aniyan yatarkyam anupramanat the self is not certainly adequately known when spoken of by an inferior person for it is sort of variously when taught by one who has become identified with it there is no further cogitation with regard to it for it is beyond argumentation being subtler even than the atomic quantity okay whatever now let's go into uh, what has been said here remember the context the lord of death yama has uh, tested nachiketa and nachiketa the little boy was the seeker in this case has passed all the tests with uh, flying colors and then yama points out the distinction between spiritual life and worldly life it is a very important distinction um, that the two opposite things you know so why not have both together swami ashokanand ji would uh, you know humorously say if somebody tells you why not both let's have um, you know uh, pleasure and you know the things in ambitions in the world power and money and uh, all of that uh, that that will give me satisfaction plus i will also become an enlightened person a buddha or, or something like that and all of it together will be an uh, that sounds great it does sound great and actually there is nothing contradictory about it also what is contradictory is the the underlying paradigm what i mean by that is what do i think of myself and what do i think about these things this uh, search for worldly pleasure and money and the status and power if i think i am this limited individual and i will gain lasting happiness satisfaction by pursuing sense pleasures by pursuing money by pursuing power and fame then that is samsara that is samsara but if i am looking for my real nature which is infinite existence consciousness place that i am one with god and that is where i will fi- find lasting uh, bliss uh, profound satisfaction that is where i will transcend suffering then that is spiritual life that is spirituality and in that one may be an emperor one may have a lot of power and be very powerful and very rich or one may be a fakir uh, you know absolutely penniless with not a single possession but one will be completely satisfied and full uh, if one has realized that ultimate nature uh, of ourselves of the of this existence so that is spiritual life the two cannot be combined because one is of the nature of maya of error of falsity 
and the other one, spirituality, is of the nature of truth, of reality. You can't combine reality and falsity together. It's like saying, if the rope is appearing as the snake, what enmity have you got with the snake? Let a little bit of the snake stay and a little bit of the rope stay. And Swami Ashokandi used to joke about it. Those who tell you to combine spirituality and, and, and materialism, uh, it's like saying, on one hand, you have uh, a cup of poison and on the other, a cup of nectar. Why not combine? Take a sip of the poison and take a sip of the nectar too. Have both. <laughs> it can't be done. It's meaningless. It's like saying, what do you have against dreams? Be awake. That's great. But also dream a little and combine both. Have a live a little bit in the dream world, a little bit in the waking life at the same time. That's not possible. That's, that's just sleepwalking. You know? That's exactly what the Buddha said he was, uh, I mean, what he had arisen from. When he says, I am the Buddha, I am the awakened, I have arisen from this uh, life of sleepwalking, that half awake, half asleep, uh, dreaming through our lives. So um, Yama says these are two distinct paths and uh, one leads into samsara, leads into the cycle of birth and death, leads into suffering. When we awaken from that and awaken to, to our true spiritual glory, that is the path of spirituality, the higher religion, let us say. And there it is there. It's the common property of all the great religious traditions of the world. It is the core, I think, of all the great religious traditions of the world. Um, and, O Nachiketa, you have chosen the latter, the spiritual path, not the path of materialism, of worldliness, of the, the cycles of births and deaths. So you are fit. Now he is talking about the unique nature of the spiritual knowledge and the importance of a competent teacher uh, who will transmit the spiritual knowledge. It's a very beautiful mantra and very profound. And here the commentator gives um, an extensive commentary. We'll take a look at that. So the mantra is, this knowledge, so this, this mantra is about spiritual knowledge, about enlightenment. And what are, what's the importance of uh, an enlightened teacher? And he says, um, This spiritual knowledge, this enlightenment is not achievable, not attainable, if it is taught by um, a, an unenlightened teacher, or more than unenlightened, what the commentator says, hinena prakrita buddhina, by the inferior teacher whose understanding is materialistic. It's a very interesting use of uh, you know, the description. Who is the lower teacher? Who is the inferior teacher? The teacher whose the, the mind is engrossed in, in the material understanding. Uh, prakrita buddhi means, prakrita means nature. Buddhi means the intellect which is caught in, enmeshed, uh, enmeshed in nature. So what I see or experience with my senses, my knowledge is based upon that and I build up a naturalistic understanding of the universe and it's excellent. For science, it's excellent. That's what you should do. But I come to conclusions about the destiny, human destiny, about spirituality, about the existence of God, my own real nature, all of that based on this understanding then the, you, you will never get to spirituality that way. Um, one sadhu in Uttarakhand put it very nicely. I'll tell you in Hindi and then translate. He says, Jad se shuru karoge to jad hi milega. Chetan se shuru karoge to chetan milega. If you start with matter, you're going to end up with matter. If you start with consciousness, you'll end up with consciousness. A very profound insight. If you start with the object, you will get an objective view of, of things, of, of this world. But you inquire within, within yourself, in, into your own awareness, you'll end up with the ultimate reality, which is Atman Brahman. Swami Vivekananda, he gives a very cautionary uh, warning. He says, do not dwell too much in, in matter, for it makes the uh, mind, the human soul, more material. The more you dabble with matter, um, Prakrita buddhina, that means one who has already, who's under the influence of this superimposition. Superimposition means I am this body, I am this mind, I am this limited personality. 
I, the pure consciousness, this is occluded, hidden from me. And I think of myself as this little person. Now, we are all in the same boat. But if the teacher is like that, then all teaching will become filtered through that. So by such a teacher, if the self is taught, who am I? What am I is taught? You will never get, get anywhere close to that. Um, I remember seeing a book, 10 Theories of Human Nature. None of them told, them, told you that you are pure consciousness. Some said you're a social anim animal. Some said you're an economic animal. Some said you're, you are uh, a product of your brain and nervous system. All true to a certain extent. Why not? Uh, to a certain extent, but all very superficial. What are you in a sense? Really, what's behind all of that? To be an economic animal, a social animal, um, a, a Freudian creature, a, a, a creature defined by um, you know, the nerves and the brain, all of that is possible only, first of all, you are consciousness itself. Then these layers can come on top of you. But if you're not awareness, what is all this? I mean, can you think of a you know, non-aware you? You, but you are not aware. But you are also an economic creature, a social creature, and a, uh, and a, a psychoanalytic creature. No, impossible. The core of, of what it means to be a sentient being, that is not at all touched uh, by any other kind of analysis. So by this kind of teacher, it is not possible to realize the highest truth about oneself. Bahuda chintamana, because what is the problem? Various are the theories of the self. Various are the theories of the self. Vedanta tells us what we are and ultimately that we are infinite existence, consciousness, bliss. But that's Vedanta. But if you look at all the other theories of self, for example, in ancient India, you had a wide range of theories of self. Uh, if you remember the class on Vedanta Sara, there was a chapter uh, inquiring into who am I? If those who have attended that class, you will remember. It starts with, I am my son. <laughs> so what every parent feels, it starts with that. I am my child. Then it comes to, I am, what am I? I am the body. What am I? I am the sensory system and mind. What am I? I am this intellect, which is trying to understand everything. I am intelligence itself. What am I? I am something beyond intelligence. The state where before intellect is there, conscious and unconscious, the state, for example, in deep sleep, the causal state, something we're so subtle that nobody, none of us think about, or I am emptiness itself. Each of these theories had a pedigree, a philosophical pedigree. There were charvakas, materialists, who thought we are the body and only the body. Whatever you are, they don't deny that you are aware, that you're conscious, but they say that awareness, consciousness, mind, all of those are products of the body. They didn't have a fancy neuroscience, but they uh, used a very nice example, which Indians will immediately recognize. They say when you eat pan, you chew pan, um, the red color which is produced, there's no red color in ingredient in the pan. But when you chew it, all the ingredients mix together and then they produce a red color, your tongue and your lips get colored red. Uh, that peculiar example, but what they want to say is that because of the mixture of ingredients in the body, a certain new thing is produced there, which was not there earlier, which is consciousness. Now, the pan theory of consciousness, it, it may sound crude, but in principle, it's not very different from uh, mainstream uh, materialistic uh, reductionism, that uh, consciousness is somehow the fine electrical activity going on in our brain. Somehow, it is that. Nothing more than that. And you wouldn't believe the amount of effort that is put into it. I took this course uh, at Harvard two years back, the philosophy of mind. And uh, the whole syllabus, the whole textbook, by the way, the textbook was edited by uh, David Chalmers, whom I refer a number of times. So the whole textbook can be neatly divided into two parts. One, um, saying that for these, these reasons, consciousness is nothing but brain or nothing but a confusion of language. 
nothing but behavior nothing but so as um, one philosopher nicely put it this is called nothing buttery nothing buttery so all of this trying to reduce consciousness to something that is material and the other group of papers saying sorry guys it doesn't work none of them are convincing that uh, consciousness reducing it to behavior or, or um, brain it's not convincing it's not working and for certain reasons and that's where the state of the art is the whole subject is frozen there there are so many theories of self uh, none of them um, talk about our real nature and uh, yama says it is because you are being taught by teachers whose mind is trapped in materialism then he goes on so many many um, theories are there commentator says about the self so many the theories are there asti nasti there is an ultimately there is an ultimate self some say there is not karta karta some say the self is an agent of action some say the self is not an agent of action some say the self is pure consciousness some say this consciousness plus matter mixed in there um, so all of these um, theories abound and there is confusion there then who can teach us the real nature of the self which will free us from samsara he says ananya prokte gatiratra nasti an interesting term is used for the Uh, the ideal teacher ananya non different teacher <laughs> literally ananya means not different the non different teacher means here he says aprithak darshina acharyena the master who is who does who sees oneness uh, who is who sees that i am brahman i means the master the master has realized that i am brahman there this one reality appearing as many so in all this diversity underlying it is one reality and i am that and this this master has realized and such a master is called ananya ananya means uh, the one of non different vision okay that's a good way of putting it not different who does not see different now again one has to be careful here does not see difference means what can clearly see that we are we are different if the master is here and he sees 94 people present here we'll say all right so there are 94 people present and it's not that the master will say oh there is one person present here master sees all the differences that we see all of that but sees something deeper and more fundamental which we don't see the underlying oneness master can see the thousand waves in the ocean but also see that is is one mass of water is literally without any division uh, it is one mass of water similarly in all living beings it is one consciousness shining forth in all non living things and all entities from the tiniest proton and uh, quark uh, to quasars and galaxies it is one unlimited existence and that is my real nature so this is called the ananya what a tremendous thing apritak darshina acharyena that term is itself very pregnant with meaning by the master who sees non difference and that's the precise translation such a master uh, teaches this how does he teach this brahmatma bhutena prokta ukta who teaches what does he teach that you are the infinite he doesn't teach that um uh, you are mind or body or you are a separate consciousness from ev everything else like sankhya would teach you are a separate consciousness everybody else is a separate consciousness not even that uh, you are uh, he says brahmatmaikyam you are brahman you are that ultimate reality just as i am as just as everybody else is the one who teaches in that way teaches means of course doesn't just say you are brahman that's it it's done no um systematically you know you come to the vedanta class and you do this inquiry and then you you see for yourself so vedanta is a philosophy which is trying to get us to see something see the highest reality about ourselves and then he says gatiratranasti now this is a little difficult to translate and not difficult means there are multiple translations each very beautiful very profound 
Um, the English translation here is, Swami Gambiranji says, Gatiratranasti is, when taught by one who has become identified with it, there is no further cogitation with regard to it. All right, but we'll have to go deeper than that. One meaning is, um, Gati anekadha asti nasti iti ityadi lakshana chinta gati asminatmani nasti. All these different theories which you different philosophers have put forth, you know, the ancient Indian philosophers who say the materialists say you are the body, or somebody says you are the mind, somebody says you are intelligence itself, or somebody says you are emptiness, or whatever it is, all these different theories. Um, they do not trouble you anymore because you see the reality which is underlying all of them. And you can even understand why they come up with these theories. It's, these are like limiting cases of a general theory. The general theory being the Advaitic idea of an infinite existence consciousness. And under certain circumstances, in a certain way of thinking, each of those philosophies can be seen as subsets or as um, you know, byproducts, not byproducts, uh, subsets, let's say. Uh, of, uh, of a general set, which is the uh, Advaitic understanding. Um, there's a beautiful phrase which the commentator uses. I'll translate. The phrase is Sarva Vikalpa Gati Pratyastamita Tvad Atmanaha. So, how do you translate this? Gati means Sarva Vikalpa, every alternative theory. Pratyastam means comes to a rest or dissolves in this realization of the infinite self. Okay, that's a good translation. You realize yourself as a boundless self. Everything that is experienced and not experienced yet, everything that is possible is an appearance of one undivided reality, which you are. Not a part of it. Not a fraction of it. Whole of it, and in fact, there is no whole and part relationship there. There is only that one. That's our real nature. And there, all these um, you know, various theories, they come to a rest there. That uh, uh, They are all transcended. There is no, no further um, debate possible there. Yeah, so let's put it that way. All debates come to a rest there. Then, or to put it briefly, all doubts about the self cease. This is so vivid, so blazing forth. There can be no more doubt. If you look up at the sun, don't look up at the sun, but if you do look up at the sun, you cannot, um, you cannot deny the existence of this, this tremendous light blazing down at you. Similarly, you cannot deny when one comes to an understanding of this unlimited consciousness which we are, which makes everything else possible in our lives, then there is really, it's impossible to deny its existence, deny its infinitude, and see that everything else, every other theory is pointing towards it, but does not quite reach it. Then another commentator, uh, another interpretation. What are we interpreting here? The term gatiratranast, there is no further cogitation with regard to it. So one interpretation is no more doubt with regard to it. Why doubts? Multiple theories were there. Whether in ancient India, you had the Nyaya theory, Vaisheshika theory, the multiple Buddhist theories, the Vigyanavada, Shunyavada theory, uh, or the Sankhya theory, all theories of the self, uh, Charvaka, materialist theory, all of them are extinguished in this non-dual understanding of the self. Or you can have modern theories of the self. And I just mentioned 10 theories of human nature. So all of that is extinguished in this realization of the non-dual self. Then another interpretation of, there's no further cogitation, Gati Ratranas. The word Gati is being played upon here. So what is he saying? Um, He says here, Gyanasya hiesha para nishtha yad atma ekatva vigyanam. This is the highest and final uh, 
this is the uh, the uh, highest and uh, final knowledge once you realize this unlimited consciousness you realize every other knowledge is actually an appearance in this consciousness think about it this consciousness is is uh, is the basis of all our experience whenever you are having thoughts ideas memories consciousness is constant underlying all our ideas all our memories desires emotions happy unhappy loving irritated hatred all of that one thing is constant continuously untouched is awareness consciousness it makes possible all our experiences therefore it makes possible all other theories also all of our understanding various models of consciousness they all depend on this one consciousness so he says gyanasya esha paranishtha this is the ultimate goal or the culmination of all knowledge ultimately all knowledge converges here there is nothing further to be known after this and he says um samsara gatirvatra nasti nantariya katvat all right so what does that mean another play on the word gati gati also means movement in sanskrit many indian languages also movement in the spiritual context gati means this movement from lifetime to lifetime this cycle of birth and death so he says here if it is properly taught then this constant movement coming and going being born and aging disease covid dying being reborn again and going through other experiences and again dying and going through it again and again this whirling around it stops so this this knowledge will put a stop to this samsara this limited existence why should that be good news because it's a limited existence and what you what we are being promised instead is an infinite unlimited existence then another interpretation of gati ratranasti is agatir anavabodho aparigyanam atranasti so he says if it is properly taught what does it mean if it is properly taught there is no possibility of not realizing so gati here means um realization non realization is not possible so he is reading gati here as agati which means non realization if it is taught by an enlightened master of course to a prepared student then enlightenment is guaranteed you are going to realize it there is no other way you have no escape even if you don't want to you will become enlightened sri ramakrishna gives the example of um, uh, of the cobra and the water snake he says once he saw in um, in dakshineshwar in the temple garden he was walking and he heard a croaking of uh, a frog in distress later he was walking by the same path and he heard the frog croaking in distress so he went to look what's going on he saw that a water snake had caught hold of a big frog now the frog was big and the water snake was not big or strong enough and so as ram krishna put it both of their pain continued this the frog was um, couldn't escape and yet was not dying and the water snake had caught hold of it couldn't let go of it and couldn't swallow it so he says that's what happens when an inferior guru catches hold of a uh, of a student so both of their pain continues the guru can't transmit enlightenment and the student doesn't get enlightened and there is a um, lifelong struggle and uh, dissatisfaction from both sides but he says in contrast he says if a cobra catches the frog he says it it's over in three croaks it croaks the frog croaks once and twice and by the third croak it it is gone it's finished similarly if a master an enlightened master catches hold of you you're done for in three croaks that means whether you like it or not you will be enlightened and freed in this very life enlightened master will make sure that you get freedom um swami trigunati tananda who was the swami in charge of our vedanta society in northern california in in san francisco he was a tough man now before him swami turiyananda was there was a strict vedantin but also very dependent on you know, divine, divine mother as the mother wills he would say for everything so an american disciple writes about the change of the two swamis 
Swami Turiyananda went and Swami Trigunathitananda came. And this American disciple writes that the Swami does not believe in leaving, leaving things to the mother. That means the new Swami <laughs> does not believe in leaving things to the mother. He was a very up and doing Swami. A very interesting character. But uh, tough. So in response to a complaining letter from an American lady, you know, who felt that he's, he was being too harsh on his disciples, he writes back to her, Madam, I have taken responsibility for you. Therefore, it is my responsibility to, to drag you to the shores of the ocean of immortality and throw you in there. If on the way I break a few of your bones, I do not care. So he says, I'm guaranteeing you. This is such a great, great fortune. I'm guaranteeing you enlightenment and freedom in this very life. But it's going to be tough for you. <laughs> so here he says, Agati Ratranasti. What is the new interpretation of Gati Ratranasti? Is it that there will be no chance of being unenlightened. You will all be freed if you fall in the hands of such a teacher. Then... Um, So the commentator comments here, Shankaracharya. Suvigyena atma agamataya agamavata acharyena ananyataya proktaha. This self, this infinite self is actually, it's not difficult to be, um, to realize what it is. It is actually pretty easy to realize if the master is enlightened and the master uses, he says, Agama, the Upanishadic method. Here, by Upanishadic method, one need not be fanatical about it, that it's only the Upanishads. It's basically this bunch of, this you know, whole set of pointers, which are found in the mystical traditions of all religions. The enlightened master uses these techniques, and of course, it is assumed that the student is also ready. Then, it is easy. Enlightenment is not difficult. God realization, uh, Brahma Jnana, the realization I am Brahman. He says it's Sugama. It's easy. And then he also says here, the Aniyam Yatarkyam Anupramanat. Otherwise, what happens is it's impossible. Without the help of an enlightened master and without these pointing out techniques, he says, it is um, uh, impossible because, number one, aniyan, uh, anupramana. It is very subtle, subtler than even an atom. The atom is the tiniest particle of matter. They had this concept in ancient India. In fact, the very word anu, which means atom in most Indian languages, is actually a term found in the Vaisheshika philosophy. So, thousands of years ago, uh, they had this concept of atoms as being the tiniest uh, particle of matter. And here it's used as an example. So even it's subtler than the tiniest uh, particle of matter. By this, he, he means, yama means, it is not an object of our senses. There's nothing that we could discover about the self by you know, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. We say, oh, of course, I don't mean that. I mean, I don't, uh, I'm not saying that I can see the self, ultimate reality, but no. Not even by any, any instrument which extends the power of our senses. See, all the scientific instruments that we use, whether they are electron microscopes or you know, powerful telescopes looking out into the farthest reaches of space, they are all basically extensions of our senses. Even, um, say, particle accelerators and all, they, what do they do? They gather data, very subtle data, based on which we make hypotheses and try to prove or disprove our theories. But that's, those are all extensions of sense experience. And he says it is not available for sense experience, even the most subtlest kind of sense experience. Why not? Why not? And we know why not, because it's not an object. Objects, that which appears to consciousness, you can know it through the senses, you can use instruments, you can use logic and reasoning. You can think about it. You can speak about it. But this, this is not an object. It is the subject which reveals all objects. It is the consciousness underlying all objects. So it is not, a sub, it is not something that you can reveal with senses. It's not something that you can uh, reveal with reasoning 
or with um, uh, you know um, with language none of them can objectify the self because it's not an object atarkyam you can't reason argue or wait for the enlightenment atarkyam means this reality our own nature is not subject to uh, reasoning that means you cannot argue your way reason your way to enlightenment and shankaracharya here comments nahi kutarkasya nishtha kwachit vidyate just by argumentation just by reasoning you will never come to a firm conclusion you may come to a conclusion that can be attacked and critiqued by another person a more clever philosopher can come and give a um, um, you know a better theory or a different theory and that is the whole history of um, a philosophy here is a reality and here are certain pointers upanishads they give you the pointers but you cannot so why not go straight to the upanishads and use the pointers and become enlightened it won't work they have to be skillfully employed by a person who has actually realized it who has actually realized i am brahman and in the hands of that person these texts can serve as powerful pointers and help us to realize our real nature so this is the meaning of this uh, mantra very good mantra na narena varena proktayesha suvigneya bahuda chintyamana this truth that i am brahman um, cannot be realized if it is taught by a person whose intellect is materialistic it has multiple there are multiple theories about the nature of the self then who who can teach teach it to us infallibly ananya prokte by the one who has realized i am brahman the, the seer of non difference by that master when it is taught taught how with the help of these upanishadic pointers in that case gatiratra nasti and multiple meanings were given to this gatiratra nasti uh, one was that um, all the theories will come to an end here all the doubts you know different theories you see that this is the uh, ultimate truth another one was this is the end of all knowledge there is nothing beyond this another um, meaning of this is your samsara comes to gati means samsara the, the continuous movement across lifetimes that comes to an end you are free and um, another meaning was agati nasti there will be no non comprehension in the hands of a competent teacher you will become enlightened it's not so difficult it's not so difficult otherwise he says it's it's impossible because without this kind of a teacher without the help of the upanishads otherwise it's impossible because what you are talking about is subtler than an atom that means no instrument can reveal it and it is also not um, subject to being argued about you can't reach a firm conclusion about the atman by arguing about it you might say that but swami you give so much of philosophical argumentation yes but all of that sort of follows it's what is called um shruti anugrahita tarka that means uh, reasoning based upon the pointers provided by the upanishads so you see this truth then all the reasoning that you give afterwards is like rope ladders being led down suppose a person you want to go to the roof and somebody has gone up to the roof and the person on the roof roof lets down these ladders to us helps us to climb up so those are the reasons it, it's not generally reasoning it's not uh, free thinking i'm here let me think whatever comes to my mind no this person who is giving us all this reasoning is has already attained this this sage in the upanishadic sage has already attained this and is giving us a way of trying to a way of seeing what he is seeing that is behind all that all the reasoning the drig drishya viveka the pancha kosha viveka you know the seer and the seen the five layers of the human personality avasthatraya the three states waking dreaming deep sleep all the different vedantic reasoning it's all just different methodologies being given to us so that if we follow that path what do you say follow the uh, cookie crumbs or the bread crumbs as the story goes and then you you find your way out of the maze that's the kind of reasoning which is used in vedanta before i go ahead let me see there are some comments
Abhijit says various theories about the self can be seen as finite approximations of the infinite. Yes. And this is from the Advaitic perspective, non-dual perspective. From that perspective, you begin to see why such philosophers may have said such things at different, um, you know, different paradigms. Now, again, it is what we are seeing. Those philosophers will say that, no, these are not limitations. I have got the final truth. Just like you, non-dualist, you are saying you've got the final truth, the highest truth. Um, the Sankhyan will say, I've got the final truth. The Buddhist will say, I've got the final truth. The Nayaika will say, I've got the final truth. So uh, we are also saying the same thing. We have got the final truth. But from our perspective, you begin to see how those other things could also be said under certain limiting circumstances. They are finite approximations of the infinite. Yes. Shravani says, is there any difference in the reflected self, Chidabhasa, in waking state and sleep state? Yes. The reflected consciousness, which is what we, we experience right now, uh, that is distinctly available in the waking state. Right now, we are aware. You feel aware. We, are, we all of us feel aware. Is this this infinite consciousness? No. Well, yes and no. Uh, no, because it is um, subject to uh, you know, being reflected in the mind. Uh, it illumines our various uh, experiences of waking, dreaming, of our thoughts, uh, our sense perceptions. But yes, it is the same as uh, the ultimate consciousness because um, it's like moonlight and sunlight. That's a good example. Moonlight is sunlight and yet it is not sunlight. Without sunlight, no moonlight is possible. So without that pure consciousness, that ultimate um, awareness, this, this present awareness, reflected consciousness, is also not possible. But this reflected consciousness is a limited thing. And it is limited by each mind. So, for example, that ultimate awareness, pure consciousness, how many? One, without a second. Reflected consciousness, how many? Many, many, many. As many minds, so many reflected consciousnesses. Okay, so in the waking state, the reflected consciousness is there in deep sleep state when the mind shuts down. So it's like the, um, if you take away the mirror, the reflection will go away. Similarly, if the mind shuts down in deep sleep, the reflected consciousness goes away. But pure consciousness is always there. Is Chidavas always finite? Yes, as Chidavas, it's always finite. Is it experienced as infinite by enlightened beings? It is a, its infinite nature is the pure consciousness. The two words, Chit, Chidabhasa. Chit means pure consciousness. Chidabhasa means reflection, shadow, shadow consciousness, reflected consciousness. So reflect the, the pure consciousness, infinite. And the shadow consciousness or reflected consciousness, Chidabhasa, is not infinite. But it's, it's nothing other than the pure consciousness. So, for example, is moonlight sunlight? Well, yes and no. In, uh, in one sense, without sunlight, no moonlight. So in one sense, moonlight is sunlight. But there is a certain meaning to calling it moonlight because uh, it's reflected from the moon and it is used to do some things at night which sunlight does not do directly. What in the Sanskrit translation allows one to use the opposite word in place of the word used in the text? Gati and agati. This is because of Sanskrit... Um, grammar. So if you chant it together, uh, you, can, you can interpret it with an extra a. Uh. So you chant it together, gati ratra nasti. It can also be agati ratra nasti. So that allows the commentator to play around with the meaning also. Uh, Kalpana says, is the same as Shrotriya Brahmanishta for Master or something more subtle is indicated? Uh, this is a very, very good question. I mean, in fact, all that I said just now about this uh, mantra, it can be summarized by just these two words, Shrotriya Brahmanishta. See, when you talk about an enlightened master in uh, Vedanta, what is meant is specifically this. What are the, these two terms, Shrotriya and Brahmanishta? Brahmanishta means one who's centered in Brahman, who has realized I am Brahman and is centered there. Can one realize and not be centered? There is a discussion about that. But anyway, 
So Brahmanishta is centered in Brahman and is effortlessly established in the identity, I am Brahman. Just like right now, I might be effortlessly established in the identity, I am Sarvapriyananda. And I don't have to put any spiritual practice into being Sarvapriyananda. Similarly, the enlightened one is effortlessly established in, I am this infinite awareness. But also Shrotriya. Shrotriya means well-versed in the scriptural tradition, in the Vedantic tradition. Notice the commentator said, the enlightened one who sees non-different uses the pointers given in the Upanishads to lead one to enlightenment, to lead the student to enlightenment. In order to use the pointers given in the Upanishad, one must be well-versed in the teaching tradition, in the scriptural tradition. So who can be a master? Not just an enlightened one and not just uh, a scripturally learned one, but both. So one must know the truth for oneself and also be aware of the, the teaching tradition so that you can transmit it. It's quite, you know, just like we have all experienced in our childhood. We knew there were so many teachers who, we had teachers, school teachers and college teachers who were experts in their subject. We knew, we always felt that this teacher knows a lot but can't teach. <laughs> we, we always had the experience of such teachers. You know, we, you feel that, oh, he or she knows his subject or her subject, but is not a good teacher. So you have to be enlightened. And to be a good teacher, you must be versed in the tradition. This being versed in the tradition, here it means the non-dual Vedanta tradition. But let's just say there is a teaching tradition in all the traditions of, uh, um, you know, the spiritual traditions of humanity in all the schools of Hinduism, and also in Buddhism, Jainism, in all religions, in fact. And so one must be well-versed in that in order to transmit it. One can be an enlightened person, but may not be very effective in transmitting that. Okay. So yes, entire mantra, which we just talked about, it can be summed up in these two words. Yama is saying that the enlightened master has to be a Shrotriya Brahmanishta. And with such a master, enlightenment is inevitable. You will become enlightened. Without such a master, it's very difficult. And why is it difficult? Because the subject matter is extraordinarily subtle and it is beyond the capacity of unsupported reason. Reason by itself, free thinking, without any kind of um, support from the Upanishads. Rita Matthew says, is it correct to say the repetition of some mantras such as Mahavakya leads to self-realization? Other mantras are for the understanding the idea of Brahman, etc. Uh, no, Mahavakyas are not mantras. Mantras which are used for repetition, um, you know, like say Om Namah Shivaya, for example, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, these are mantras used for repetition in order to cultivate certain bhava, spiritual attitude. You suffuse your mind in the bhava of these mantras, the, the attitude or the spiritual, let's say the spiritual fragrance generated by these mantras. But the mahavakyas, I am Brahman, aham brahmasmi, or that thou art, tattvamasi, they are not meant for repetition. I have mentioned this earlier also in certain circumstances, I mean in some, okay, in some classes, these are meant for realization. I am Brahman is not something that it's meant for. You can repeat it. It's not a bad thing to repeat. I am Brahman, I am Brahman, I am Brahman. You can go on repeating it. But it's something that you must come to see for yourself. When it, the Upanishad says, Gatiratranasti, that there is no way that you will not realize. It's not, it does not mean that you keep on repeating I am Brahman. It means that you come to see for yourself. Oh, I am not this body-mind. I am this one unlimited awareness shining through this body and mind, and this body and mind are also nothing different from that awareness. In fact, this entire universe is appearing in me, the awareness. I am not a body with some awareness. I'm awareness with, in which body-mind are manifesting. So this one must come to see. Dima says, what is the transmission of enlightenment from teacher to master? Teaches to student, you mean? Does this mean that the methods of listening, reasoning, and meditation all we gain is the knowledge of what is not self, and be, um, be patient for the self to reveal itself? 
uh, from teachers to student. No, the method of listening, reasoning, and meditation is what the enlightened master guides us through. And the knowledge of what is not self and the knowledge of the self, they come simultaneously. Once you realize, I am not this, what we are is directly manifest. In fact, it's right now directly manifest. It's just that we are not seeing it. We are not seeing it because we have locked ourselves into thinking that these things, this mind and this personality and this body, this is who I am. I am continuously missing the fact that I am this unlimited awareness on in which this mind and body and personality are appearing. That one we are missing. We have mixed it up. That story of the washerman's stone, which I had said earlier. We are, the same unlimited awareness is there, but we are using it just like the washerman was using the stone, which was a diamond. He was using it for scrubbing clothes dirty laundry. We are using that same unlimited awareness. For what? For seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, for thinking, quarreling, loving, hating, being disappointed, frustrated, angry, being happy, delighted, for waking, dreaming, sleeping. All of these are possible because of that one unlimited consciousness. But we don't recognize it. So this recognition comes with the help of the master who guides us to it through a process of shavana manana nididhyasana, listening, reasoning, and meditation. Listening from the master, reasoning guided by the master, and what meditation has to be done, the master also tells us with the help of the texts. It's all there in the texts. Srinivasraji says, Am I right in understanding that consciousness limited by the adjunct avidya in deep sleep leads us to realize in the waking state that I slept happily and did not know anything? All right, this is a question about deep sleep. Consciousness limited by the adjunct avidya in deep sleep. Yeah, that is the condition of consciousness in deep sleep. And because of that, in the waking state, we have this cognition or recognition. I slept happily and did not know anything. Correct. Correct. And let me go ahead. The same thought is further developed by Yama in the um, next mantra, which is the ninth mantra. Naisha Tarkena Matirapaneya Proktan Annenaiva Sugyanaya Preshta Yang Tuamapa Satya Dritir Batasi Tuadrigno Bhuyan Nachiketa Prashta. So the English translation is. This wisdom that you have, O oh dearest one, which leads to sound knowledge when imparted only by someone else other than the logician, is not to be attained through argumentation. You are, O oh com compassionable one. Hmm, I've never used, seen this usage. O oh compassionable one, endowed with true resolution. May our questionnaire be like you, O oh Nachiketa. So this is a high praise of the student. First of all, he says, the wisdom that you have, now, he does, he's not enlightened yet. Natiketa is not yet enlightened. But he says, this preparation which you have, you are very clear that there is this spiritual life, there is this spiritual knowledge, which is the saving knowledge, which, will, uh, which is actually the goal of all human life. You are very clear about that. And all that others are immersed in, this worldliness, that you have given up very clearly. This is knowledge. This is this, is this clarity you have got. And... Uh, it, this knowledge which you are seeking, it can be imparted by the enlightened master, not by the professional philosopher or logician, not by a sophist. Um, and he is using terms of great affection for Nachiketa, actually. And he says, you are endowed with true resolution, true grit. Spiritual life, as in all great things in life, resolution is necessary. I will become enlightened in this very lifetime. Why not? It is my real nature. Why, why will I not um, realize it? Why will I not find it? And then he says something very nice. He says, Let all our students be like you, O Nachiketa. So this is the prayer of all Vedanta teachers throughout the ages. They all want students like Nachiketa. I'm happy to say we have so many Nachiketas here, uh, spiritual seekers. 
So, not only the student is blessed, but the teacher is also blessed to get good students. So Yama is very happy to see this. And then, the next mantra, I'll just mention that and uh, I have to, I'll wrap up, is interesting. Here, Yama does a little bit of uh, biographical reflection. We learn more about who or what he is actually. The Lord of Death says something about himself. Tenth mantra. Jnanamyaham shevadhiranitya nityam nahidruvai prapyate hidruvam tat tato maya nachiketaschitognir anityai drabhyai praptavanasminityam Since I know that this treasure is impermanent, for that permanent entity cannot be attained through impermanent things, therefore knowingly did I pile up the nachiketa fire with impermanent things and have thereby attained this relative permanence. What is he saying here? <coughs> He's saying that I too once was a human being, an ordinary mortal like you. I'm a god now, but I was an ordinary mortal like you. Um, and I knew, just like you know, I knew the eternal reality cannot be attained through these impermanent things, whether worldly or otherworldly, heavenly. All of these come to an end. All of the treasures that can be gained by you know, Vedic ritualism, you can go to the higher worlds and heavens, all of that has an end. They're all part of samsara. They're all part of maya. I knew that. But here is the difference between you and me. And he's such great praise of the little boy. He says, you have set it all aside and you want only enlightenment. You want only spirituality. You want only God-realization, self-realization. But what I did was, I performed those Vedic rituals in order to get this position I have got now. So he says, the Nachiketa Agni, that particular Vedic ritual, which I have taught you already, he, he, that was the second boon. I've already given this to you. I used that. And by that special knowledge, I attained to this post, this uh, status of being a god, and that to the god of death, Yama. So these are positions. These are gods with small g, not capital G. Capital G God is Saguna Brahman, Ishwara. There's only one. And that's an absolute reality. Um, Nirguna Brahman is the absolute reality of which Saguna Brahman is. Um, well, it's the same thing, basically. But there's only there's a technical difference there. Um, I'll tell you one interesting experience I had. But before that, let me conclude this verse. So in this mantra, he says, I actually, you are superior to me. You realize this, that ultimately only enlightenment, God realization is real. All of the rest, even the best things that the earth and heaven can offer to you, even those things are limited. And you have given up all that and you have said, I want only enlightenment. Well, I was not like you. Even though I had that kind of an understanding, I still went ahead and you know, tried to get for myself the best that the world and heaven could give me. And here I am, a god. Yes, later I worked hard for it and I attained enlightenment. So he's an enlightened master. It's not that he's not enlightened, but he later became enlightened. But he is, he's a god of death because before that, he went through that process of um, doing the Nachiketa ritual and getting the result of that, which is for, for which he's now the god of death. So that's what he has said here. It's a kind of self-confession that, uh, you know, you little boy, you are actually, as far as spiritual stuff goes, you are superior. And that happens, you know. I, I can tell you honestly, I have taught monastic novices for eight years. That means 40 each year, 40 to 80 each year. So eight years would make 160. Um, and... Uh, I have seen these young men who have come to be monks. They are much younger than me. They have just started their monastic life. But I can see that some of them, in each batch of 40, there may be one or two. All of them are good young people and they all have come for spiritual purposes. But some of them, one or two maybe in each batch, who clearly are superior. I mean, just by the very nature, the way they take to spiritual life. They take to meditation, they take to uh, service and prayer and, uh, and devotion. 
all these qualities are so naturally manifest in them. How did it happen? It's clearly that they have been spiritual seekers in past lives, probably. So Yama does something like that here to Nachiketa. He says, you're much younger than me. You're a little boy. I'm the god of death. And yet, I think you are uh, you know, of a higher caliber than I am. All right. One more point, and I'll just finish. It's just something that I saw. I'll share this just because the topic came up. What is the relationship between the ultimate reality, Brahman, Nirguna Brahman, I mean, the attributeless Brahman, and uh, God, the God of religion, from an Advaitic perspective? from an Advaita Vedanta perspective. This is something that I saw in the lake <coughs> um, a couple of weeks back in Central Park. I was walking in Central Park in the lake. I saw the fall colors reflected. You know, the trees, gold and red and brown, um, that, with the gorgeous colors, they are reflected in the lake. Sky is reflected in the lake. Uh, clouds are reflected in the lake. Very beautiful. And yet, now just consider the lake itself. What is there in the lake? Are there trees in the lake? Are there clouds in the lake? Is there a sky in the lake? No. There is just water. There's just water in the lake. So if you stick to the strict truth, what is that lake? It's just water and nothing else. Even where it clearly looks like a forest in full fall colors. It clearly looks like a cloudy sky. It's nothing but water. It's not even water plus a forest. It's not even water plus clouds and sky. No, it's just water and only water. If you stick to that, just water and only water, that is the absolute reality. That's what Advaita Vedanta talks about. That's the only reality that there is. But if you take the appearance in itself, the whole thing, that is this water, but also what appears in it, then that is God. That, forget for the time being the actual trees on the shore and the actual sky above. That's not included in the example. This is an example. Just the water plus the entirety, the magnificent display appearing in the water. That is God. The God of, um, of religion. The ultimate reality in which the whole universe is appearing. The ultimate reality in which there is no universe at all. There's no nothing. There's only God and God, or only Brahman and Brahman. That's the only thing that there is. That is Advaita Vedanta. That is the absolute in Advaita Vedanta. But you can see how it's the same thing basically. It's the same water, regardless of whether you take into account the reflection or you do not. Okay. Um, Gita Dev says. Does the Brahmanishta master have some more powers in the scriptural knowledge to help his students achieve enlightenment, just like Sri Ramakrishna is to certain, transmit certain powers to his disciples? Uh, I'm not here, powers are not meant, but the enlightened master sees the truth. So it's much easier for the enlightened master uh, to transmit that knowledge to the student. It's like, um, say, a professor who has understood what the textbooks are teaching and then teaches it under one who has, who's not particularly clear, but has a textbook and is teaching what's in the textbook. The first teacher will be much more powerful, much more effective. That's not a bad example, but here you're clearly seeing what the reality is and you are using the uh, Upanishads, the pointers given in these texts to help the student to come to that same vision. You're helping the student to see what you are seeing. If you don't see, you may be able to help the student, but not very effectively. Srinivas Raju says, for Ishwara, there is no distinction between Saguna and Nidguna Brahman. Um, for nobody, there is a distinction between Saguna and Nidguna Brahman. These are conceptual dis distinctions. Uh, but remember, from an... You see, let me bring us into that picture. Now bring to your mind the lake with the reflection of the, the forest and the sky and the clouds. Who, so that is God, according to the example I'm giving. Where are we? So we might be a fraction of that. Say one colorful leaf reflected in one tiny part of that water. That's who I am, for example, or you are. So we are a tiny fraction of the magnificence that is God. 
So from God's perspective, we are a tiny fraction. But actually, who we are and who God is, is just that one water alone. There is no forest there. There is no leaf there. There is no sky there. There are no clouds there. There's just water and water. That's who we are and who God is. And all of this is clear when you study Vedanta Sara. You know how we analyze that Mahavakya, that Tao art, uh, all the techniques we used, the implied meaning we used. We left out the godliness of God. We left out the limitedness of the individual sentient being. And we came to the underlying infinitude, which is Brahman. Okay, let's stop here. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Sri Ramakrishna Rupanamastur